Lauren. Mike. Lauren, what happens when you're sitting at home and your phone rings? Well, I hear about seven different instances of this sound. Well, welcome to Apple World. Indeed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We're also joined this week by Wired Senior Associate Reviews Editor, Adrian So. Welcome back to the show, Adrian. Hi, guys. And Reviews Editor, Julian Chokatu. Julian, welcome back. Thank you for having me. You both have fancy new titles. Congratulations on those. Uh, we've asked the two of you on the show this week because it is Apple Week. Apple just held its annual Worldwide Developers Conference. We call it WWDC, or if you want to be like Lauren and be extra cool, you can just say dub dub. Uh, as no per one usual, has ever described me as extra cool. So <laughs> I just FYI. did. I just did. I just did. That counts. Uh, per usual, during the keynote address on Monday, the company announced a bunch of new software updates for all of its key products. This is the mid-year announcement that promises to make your iPhone feel fresh or your iPad to feel more like a computer, all without having to buy new hardware. Though, of course, Apple still wants you to buy new hardware in the fall when it comes out. A lot of these software updates are designed to make your computing life easier if you're living in the Apple universe. But that also means it's designed to get you pretty locked into Apple's universe. We'll talk about Apple's quest for gadget domination later in the show. But first, we have to cover the news. Julian, I'm going to start with you because you wrote a story about all of the biggest software features coming to the iPhone later this year. Uh, what jumped out at you from DubDub? I think the biggest one is updates to FaceTime, uh, Apple's video calling app. Um, you know, they're making it a little more like platforms like Google Meet and Zoom in that where you can create links to share with other people to join. And that even applies to people on Android phones and even Windows uh, web browsers. So basically, it's a little more platform agnostic. Anyone can join calls. And there's also features like the ability to isolate your noise. So if you're in an ambient surrounding, like a coffee shop, people won't hear all of that sounds around you. They'll just hear your voice. Uh, and of course, other things like portrait mode in FaceTime, where it will blur out your surroundings so you can't see your messy bedroom. Uh, and of course, uh, the other big thing was the ability to share movies and music or even your own screen with other people when you're in a FaceTime call. So, uh, for example, if you want to watch a new movie that came out, uh, you know, I guess Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, you want to watch that with a friend, <laughs> you can totally do that by just sort of sharing and syncing in real time this, this movie watching experience with anyone you're on a FaceTime call with. And that also applies to music. So if you want to listen to the new Olivia Rodrigo album that just came out, you can totally do that again in sync with Apple Music. And what's actually kind of nice is that there's this SharePlay API, so you're not necessarily just restricted to using something like Apple TV or Apple Music. If you don't have those services, uh, developers will be able to implement the functionality with their own apps. So some of the existing platforms that will be available are Disney+, Plus, Hulu, uh, ESPN+, Plus, for example. So it's kind of a big update that sort of integrates this experience of video chatting with your friends and watching content or listening to content with them. Uh, but of course, this is not particularly new. You know, you can kind of do this stuff existing platforms like Watch Party, for example, and Netflix has its own type of system as well. So it's really interesting that all this stuff is coming into FaceTime because like, you know, 
over the last year, of course, everybody's been spending a lot of time in Zoom, a lot of time in Teams, a lot of time in Meet, and I'm sure a lot of time in FaceTime. So FaceTime is kind of like expanding out to become more like those other products that everybody has become so reliant on. Yeah, and I think this also kind of speaks to the limitation of the way Apple handles updates. You know, everyone else can just issue an update immediately and they'll get those features. Some of these features that you see at WWDC are like things that you would have expected Apple to roll out last year when we were all in a pandemic. Um, and these are all beneficial features that, again, would have been really handy to have last year. So it's sort of that cadence of updates where it's a cyclical, uh, you know, annual cycle uh, rather than being able to just issue a software update to an app and being able to download it immediately. Julian, what's your sense of how many of these features will work on FaceTime from the web since people on an Android smartphone or a Windows PC can technically use FaceTime from the web with this future update. But like, are they going to get access to things like portrait mode or conversation boost or even share play? I'm not entirely sure. I think that's still something that may need to be answered as we test the public beta and stuff. But I know things like, um, you know, you're already restricted to specific browsers. So if you're on Windows, you have to use Edge or Chrome. So if you're on Firefox, you're out of luck. Uh, so there's definitely going to be limitations, and I think that's a pretty regular theme with almost any Apple service you use on a non-Apple device. It's always limited in some functionality. Uh, so before we move on to like watch and iPad and all the other stuff, real quick, tell us what else in the iOS announcements jumped out at you. I do want to sort of take a minute with Focus, which I swear to God, I had the idea for this like four years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's... I should have patented it or something, but basically Focus is this new way of setting profiles in iOS where you can customize your home screen to include specific people that you might want to talk to, apps that you use for different times of uh, day and different, different sort of profiles or mindsets that you're in. So there's a work profile, there's a sleep profile, there's a home and personal profile, and you can actually customize up to 10 of these. Uh, and the idea is, you know, if you set it to work profile on your main home screen, you'll see work-related apps, you'll see contacts and widgets and everything related to work. You can allow notifications from work colleagues only specifically and not other people so you don't get disturbed. And there's going to be a status API. So third-party developers, like, you know, for different applications like Slack, you can actually integrate this so that Slack will be able to figure out when you set your iPhone to your home profile, for example, and they'll automatically alert the people that might be trying to message you saying this person's set to home profile. They can still get through to you. Um, and that's, again, something that's similar to what ex already exists in Slack. But this is something that would be open up to all the different types of messaging applications if you don't just use iMessage, so Telegram and um, other messaging apps as well. I feel like Very this cool. is the closest that Apple is going to get to away messages um, on messages. Like it's it's not quite, you know, leave an emo song lyric um, or like leave something up that says like, hey, guys, I, I went to the cafeteria for dinner. Meet me there in 20, which is like maybe how we used AIM in college. But it's but it's close. It's like someone messages you and they get like an auto response that says you're in some kind of mode. Indeed. Uh, speaking of notifications, <laughs> Adrian, uh, you are a uh, an Apple Watch user and you love your Apple Watch. So please tell us what you thought of some of the uh, watch OS enhancements. Well, continuing with the theme that Julian was talking about with focus uh, and this year in particular, 
I was like, you know what would be really useful for the Apple Watch is if it could tell me when I'm about to have a panic attack. But it <laughs> turns out that they can't quite do that yet. But it was a big focus with Watch OS this year on a health and mindfulness stuff. We have a new mindfulness app, which includes like a cool new uh, breathe animation so that you will actually look at it instead of just clicking dismiss panic. And then they have new, <laughs> they have a new um, reflections feature. So we'll address different prompts to you throughout the day to like contemplate, you know, something, try to remind you of something that you love, something that will, again, distract you from your panic. So we will see if these are just, if these are actually going to be useful or if I'm just going to end up clicking dismiss on those as well. No, I will not think of my children. This is just bad. And then the new, <laughs> the, uh, the new workouts too are also um, very serenity now focused. They have a new Tai Chi metrics, which I know you are super stoked on. Mike. Yes, even though I don't have an Apple Watch, but yeah, I, I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You can just zoom me, and I will just tell you what the Apple Watch is saying while you do your Tai Chi. And yeah, and then the other thing is that it's going to be integrated um, with your HomeKit stuff, so you'll be able to control more things in your home environment and um, be able to use photos more efficiently on your watch to communicate with other people. Like it'll have featured memories and then you can just, you know, text a voice, send if something on your watch comes up, oh, this beautiful memory, I'm just going to send this to my bestie. I'll text her with my voice. I'll edit it in line. And then, you know, after the appropriate interval, I'll just send her the correct gif or whatever to respond comedically as they say which is a special thing i like to do <laughs> to respond comedically <laughs> i i also like the um the new watch face with like you can have a picture of your of your loved one on your watch face and the time and date kind of sits behind their head like they use you know some sort of algorithm to figure out where the outline of the person's head is and then sort of use that as to make a little 3d image do you know what the thing is that um, Emily, like one of our former editors, she sent me the uh, the iPod Touch, and then I wiped it, but for some reason, her iPhone photos still show up randomly sometime in my photos. <laughs> so sometimes I get to be treated to a special memory of Emily's, and I'm like, oh, this is so moving but <laughs> wait this is emily dreyfus yeah does she so, know this does she know that you see her photos i i don't i should probably i have her number <laughs> i should probably text her like I, I have no idea i wiped it a factory reset it but for some reason like sometimes a photo of her like of her kid from like three years ago will just pop up in my memories and i'm like featured <laughs> feature that shit but anyway <laughs> Okay, well, we have to pause here for a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about WWDC. Welcome back. Toward the end of the WWDC keynote, Apple showed off a feature called Universal Control. And I want to start here because I think it's really important. It allows people to set an iPad next to a Mac computer and use the iPad as a second screen. So you can move the cursor from the Mac screen to the iPad screen and back. And it 
sort of flows uh, from one to the other um, very fluidly. And the keyboard and trackpad that you're using work across the devices automatically. So it automatically senses which device you're trying to control and switches control from one to the other. Now, like other features that Apple introduced this week, it's a way of integrating multiple types of devices together and tie them together across the cloud. Of course, to make the most of these features, you will need to pony up for a bunch of Apple products and pay for all the services that connect them together. Now, Lauren, you wrote a story this week about how Apple's vision for total gadget and service domination is coming into stark focus. I'd like you to tell us about it. Okay. Um, How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Seven hours. Okay. So there are a couple of layers to this, or a few layers, and it's really all about Apple controlling this full stack of our computing experiences, right? There's this hardware layer, the iPhone, the Apple Watch, Apple TV. Um, Microsoft refers to this as like, you know, edge computing, the edge devices. I think that's a generally accepted industry term. And Apple in controlling the full stack is also controlling more and more of the componentry, particularly silicon that's in these devices. Then there are these software frameworks. Let's just say something like HomeKit, right? That make non-Apple hardware devices compatible with Apple software in some way. It's kind of a way of like linking into like a a broader sort of network of devices. And then there's this cloud layer, right? That increasingly is becoming a subscription layer, which is essentially Apple offering optimized experiences if, and the if is the big caveat, if you're subscribed to something and if you're using Apple devices. So we saw examples of it this week and Julian gave a really great overview of SharePlay earlier, right? SharePlay is one example of that. Like SharePlay in, in essence is like, Okay, you're you're sharing a screen with your friends, you're co-watching something like a watch party, like some people, you know, started doing during the pandemic, right? Or you're just like you're collaborating on something together. These are not new ideas, but the way Apple is doing it is saying, okay, you have to be using FaceTime, and if you're going to cast to a big screen, it ha- you have it has to be an Apple TV, right? Some, something that's Apple TV enabled. And so that's just one example of like it's very specific to Apple software, the way Apple software works. And you have to have another device in your home that's going to work in the Apple universe. Um, Even something like Apple Watch controlling your smart home gadgets, right? It's got to be like you have the iPhone, which or you have the Apple Watch, which means you have to have an iPhone because you can't actually set up an Apple Watch without an iPhone. And then if it's controlling those smart home gadgets, it has to be something that's um, HomeKit compatible. And then if you're going to use Siri now, because Siri can now come to third-party devices like the Echo B smart thermostat, you actually have to have a HomePod mini for that to work. So it's just like this glut of Apple products um, at the hardware and software layer. Here's another example, right? Um, Apple announced that in photo memories now, which are, you know, you go into the photos app on your iPhone, it you go to the for you section, Apple has collated some photos for you and turned it into a quote unquote memory, you can now add music to that. But in order for you to do that, it pretty much has to be an Apple music subscription, like there are limited things you can do. So like, this is all just about like, Apple saying, yes, you can do all these really cool things. And there's amazing interoperability between devices and services. But pretty much, you know, you need to pony up for Apple stuff. Well, this is part of the vision that I've outlined to both you and Mike before, I think, Lauren, because I I am totally buying into this. And I think the watch is going to be key to everything. Eventually, like the Apple chip and my watch, I would just I'm going to I'm going to unlock my car. I'm going to lock my car. I'm just going to move around because I've written like the smart home experience as it exists right now is just so patchy and you know there's so many glitches like every 3 years i want to write an article that's just like oh the smart home still sucks 
and then just move on. But if if everything is integrated with Apple, like the, my true my vision of what of what will happen, like you'll just you'll have your Apple Watch on and you'll unlock your front door and you won't have to do anything. Your your preferred lights, you know, for 5 p.m. are just going to come on. And then my, my you know, my happy time, my happy hour music is just going to come on from my HomePod as I walk into my kitchen. And the air t- ambient temperature in my house will be set to the perfect 74 degrees at every, at every time of every day. So, I mean, maybe this is how we get a smart home ecosystem that actually works, except that you're going to have to buy all Apple stuff yeah, to get may- it. Yeah, maybe. At first, I thought you were going to say, when you said um, eventually the Apple Watch chip, I thought you were going to say, eventually the Apple Watch chip will just be implanted in me, and <laughs> I will be able to remotely control all of my home devices with it. But oh. what you're describing is is like this optimal experience that Apple is promising. And honestly, it's it's why so many people like Apple products. Like I think that there are obvious upsides and downsides to this approach. And one of the downsides is that it's really expensive to live in the Apple universe and that maybe in some way it could limit uh, what app developers can do in such a closed platform and limits competition. And of course, Apple is being scrutinized pretty closely for for just its power and influence over our tech experiences. But the but the other side of it is that like the it just works promise. Sometimes that is the case. And so sometimes people just want that level of interoperability. So, so this is not the appropriate place to make a joke about how that's what I thought they were putting in my arm with that injection was the, the chip. So we don't make a joke about that here. But I, <laughs> when I was testing the HomePod Mini, I'd be playing a podcast for my kids in the car on CarPlay and then I'd walk inside the house and it would still be playing and I'd set it down my phone down next to the HomePod Mini and it would just continue seamlessly playing right in the kitchen as I was getting lunch or whatever. Yeah. Like it's just those little those little sparks for us Apple users just have to be willing to shell out the money for it. But. The the it just works effect is is very powerful. And mm-hmm. I mean that's what I saw with Universal Control. It was like, okay, I know this is like a tightly controlled demo, but if it works like that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, but the other sort of obvious, you know, we touched on a bit of this, especially with the smart home ecosystem. Like, it's nice because you don't have a lot of other companies out there that can do the level of integration that Apple does. So it's nice to be able to have an option that is completely controlled by one system. But then you also look at the, you know, you just don't get a lot of choice with sort of everything. So when you're looking at, you know, Adrian was talking about the smart home. HomeKit only really works with so many third-party devices. Um, and if you look at Alexa and Google Assistant, your, your options for, you know, adding smart stuff to your house is insanely large. There's so many choices. There's so many price points you can hit. There's so many different types of products. Maybe that's going to happen now that Apple is allowing Siri to be built into other uh, gadgets. But you also know that Apple is going to control very finely exactly who is allowed to put Siri in in, a, in another device. So, um, you know, it's, it's sort of that trade-off of like, well, they're much slower to come to market with something that you can potentially use in your home. And when that does come, it's going to be significantly later and probably pricier than what's already out there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's exactly the heart of it. Like part of the reason why the, the smart home has sucked for so long and continues to suck is that everything has to work together perfectly. And that has just not proven to be the case. There are a lot of um, sort of uh, industry organizations where there are multiple companies working together to make protocols, to make smart home stuff work together. And, you know, an Apple announced that it was joining uh, matter. Is that what it's called? 
mm-hmm. uh, the, the new one um, that um, Amazon and Google have already signed up for. And, you know, when you when you're buying stuff for a smart home, like if you're like installing smart home gadgets in, in your house, you do have a lot of choices and it always makes sense just to like buy as much stuff made by the same company as possible. Right. So you're like right now that's Amazon basically. And like Google and nest gets you about half halfway as far as Amazon does. But uh, you know, to have like Apple home kit, all Apple devices, all the Apple services to tie together, music, iCloud, I think this can be really powerful for people who can like are already halfway there with all the stuff that they own and can spend the money to, fill out the rest of their home. And Mike, you, you started out this segment by talking about universal control, right? The interoperability between specifically Macs and iPads. So how do you see that fitting into this broader theme? Uh, I think, you know, it's going to be the kind of thing where you are using your iPad in one room and then you want to continue what you're doing, but you want like a better computing experience. So you walk over to your desk, you plop your iPad down next to your Mac, and then you slide the cursor over and start typing there. Uh, you know, so you basically like you have a computer that doesn't move and you have a computer that you carry around with you. Uh, we kind of have that with a phone, but I think for the type of work that Apple is envisioning people using universal control for, it's probably more suited to, you know, like typing or, you know, editing photos or things like that, where you're not doing it on a phone, you're doing it on a bigger screen, like an iPad. So, you know, I see somebody like sitting in their bedroom or like an easy chair using an iPad and then they want to do a little bit more. So they walk over, they put it down next to their Mac and then they have their full tool set that they're, that they're used to. Is there some kind of inevitability? Do you think though, that as Apple pushes more and more into, you know, services across devices that there's also just more inevitable frustration? Like I I get, I get that the interoperability has the benefits of when it works, it works well. There are security benefits that Apple can build into these products that maybe other companies can't, um, you know, and people just, there's a cachet still attached to Apple products. But like, what happens when there is a latency between, you know, using that feature between your Mac or your iPad OS, or you're, you find out that an Apple subscription service you've been paying for for like several months that you didn't mean to re-up to because it's just like built into your iCloud, whatever, or you, I don't know, just something, things start going wrong. Yeah. I mean, that, that's always going to happen, right? <laughs> I think the main problem, I think the, one of the things with this is just like, like Spotify, like I would honestly, I would rather like switch jobs, switch houses, move to a different country, then switch from Apple Music to Spotify because it's just so hard, but everybody uses Spotify and it's so much, like it's just, it's such a better service than Apple Music, but I can't because I'm enmeshed in the Apple system. So it comes down to like what Julian and Mike was talking about choice. Like if I was the kind of person who was, who would be happier with some limitations and some device or other, then maybe, then maybe I'd be totally fine. I mean, I don't know if this is really what you're getting at, Lauren. Yeah, I just feel like, like what I, you know, when I see family, they always say, uh, my Apple Watch has just suddenly stopped pairing with my phone. How do I fix it? You know, oh, it, God. It's like it goes from time to time and we, and we just reset yeah. it. I just say, let's just do, is it, all right, it's backed up to the cloud. Let's just do a reset and we do reset <laughs> yeah. and then it repair it and it repairs. And I'm like, why, you know, why is this happening? But maybe that just like speaks to the sheer volume and multitude of devices that we have in our lives now and services that we're using. 
I also spent like a couple hours trying to troubleshoot a Netflix problem when I was visiting family. You know, like maybe these things just happen now. I think people would be genuinely disturbed about how much of Gadget Lab's technical support is. Have you tried turning it on and then off again? <laughs> off and then on. Try it again. Just just do it again, Mom. It's fine. Log out, log back in, reinstall <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. The scarier thing that I wanted to mention is, um, you know, with everyone sort of obviously Apple promoting this interoperability is going to get people to buy and use more of its own services. But that also is going to create even bigger of a bubble uh, that people live in. And you already see, you know, we all know about the green bubble effect in iMessage, you know, how people who use iPhones and they text Android users and they get the green bubble instead of the blue bubble. And sometimes they can treat those people differently than they would if they got a blue bubble. It uh, makes me physically back. sick. <laughs> Case in point, Adrian. <laughs> so, you know, there's this, this sort of worry that the more people are becoming more like tightly entrenched in this Apple ecosystem, if you give people uh, sort of a negative experience with people that, you know, because maybe, not, maybe they can't afford to buy a Mac and they buy a Windows machine. But if the experience there is annoying for that Apple user to interact with that other person, and then they might literally change the way they act toward that person, you know, that is something that has happened. And I think that that is definitely some problem of how Apple decides to treat people that don't buy its own devices. That's a very good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, well, look, we have to wrap this up. Uh, so let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll do recommendations. All right. Here's the last segment of our show where we all give our recommendations for things that we want everybody to enjoy. Adrian, you get to go first. What's your recommendation? So just in this past week, there have been like this whole slew of articles about how we this summer is just going to be a hot mess for everyone. You don't, we don't even, <laughs> nobody even knows what they're going to be doing. Like, so my recommendation is for everybody to just chill out and get themselves a two piece bathing suit. Um, two people <laughs> on it wired have bought this, um, on bay swimwear, a two piece bathing suit. Uh, it's women owned company recycled. Um, and they fit, they fit really well. They stay on, you know, like, I don't even know what you're going to be doing with your vaccinated summer, but my recommendation is a swimsuit that's actually going to stay on. So, yeah. Very nice. Should I also get a two piece? Is that, is that your advice to me? Yes. And then you can, we'll all wear our matching two pieces out to brunch, Mike. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Julian, what's your recommendation? Um, so I hate wires, uh, which is kind of weird working at um, Wired. But, uh, <laughs> but I generally, uh, when I'm organizing my desk, I have a very, like, a, I have a system where I try to hide as many wires as I can. And I used to just use this um, $100 desk that I bought off of Amazon and I used duct tape to hide all the wires behind the walls. Again, terrible idea because that'll peel off your paint. Uh, so instead, I got, um, I'm testing currently this uh, desk from this company called Secret Lab. They make gaming chairs and other, uh, you know, home furniture equipment. Um, this new desk, though, is sort of designed to hide and help you hide all of your wires. And there's different accessories that you can get with magnets that you can just clip onto the underside of the desk. And all of that just makes it super easy to hide everything and make it look very wireless and very 
you know, clutter-free. Uh, and I am all about that. I feel like every six months I'm just changing how something looks on my desk. So uh, this desk for me is something that's just like peace of mind. I didn't have to use duct tape. I didn't peel off any paint. So it is, unfortunately though, it's a little pricey. It's, um, it's I believe, $3.99 for the large version, but there is going to be a slightly cheaper one for a smaller version later down the road. But Secret Lab Magnus Desk, and I'll be writing something up for that on Wired.com soon enough. It's quite handsome. It has all these channels in it. It's kind of cool for like running all your cables, I assume, right? Yeah, has uh, different channels and you can still sort of mount stuff. And it just overall, even I have like a monitor mounted to it. And even that just looks much better on this desk rather than other desks where it kind of forces you to create some space on the back side of the desk. So all around, it just um, makes it look much prettier. And also you can get a RGB light strip if that's your thing to <laughs> light up your desk. Perfect. Of course. <laughs> All right. Well, Adrian is recommending the the something for the hot mess summer. Julian, you're recommending something for the work from home summer, <laughs> part two. Uh, Lauren, what's your recommendation? So I don't really have a recommendation for your hot girl summer, though I fully support the idea of it. Um, I would say that you should go check out Tom Simonite's profile in Wired of Timnit Gebru. Timnit Gebru was a Google. Uh, AI researcher. She was working on ethical AI, and she was an outspoken critic of some of Google's issues with its AI products. And she was ousted from Google late last year um, under really bizarre circumstances. And um, since then, other people from the ethical AI group at Google have either been fired or have left in protest of what happened. And uh, Tom's story is excellent. It really underscores, I think, some of the internal problems at Google, but also some of the broader issues that we are facing as AI just kind of, uh, you know, proliferates and affects our experiences and technology. And um, Gebru is one of the most, I think, high profile black women in in AI and AI research. And um, you should just absolutely go read this story. So that's my recommendation. It's it's kind of a shameless plug of Wired, but go read Tom Simonite's story um, out this week about Timnit Gebru in Wired. Absolutely. Hard, hard second recommendation over here. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? All right. I am going to recommend something that is going to make your life much better if you are a Twitter user who uses the web version of Twitter, which is most people who use Twitter, I assume. Uh, so I just installed this on the desktop. It's a browser extension. It's called Minimal Twitter, and it's from the developer Thomas Wang. It is a fantastic tool for cleaning up everything about Twitter's web interface. So if you install this browser extension, which by the way works on Chrome, Firefox, and Safari, uh, you get a very simplified user interface. You lose the topics section. You lose the who to follow stuff. Uh, you won't see promoted posts. There won't be a border on your main feed unless you want it to be there. Uh, you can even get rid of some of the other navigation elements. Like you can get rid of the uh, explore icon. You can get rid of the lists icon. You can get rid of the little tweet button that hangs out in the bottom right corner. Uh, you can get rid of the, the search button that hangs out in the top right corner. You can just make Twitter look how you want it to. So I like a feed that is just tweets reverse chronologically with absolutely nothing else. And this, uh, this browser extension allows me to do that. So uh, I, would, I would highly recommend it, uh, especially considering that it gets rid of like all the promoted stuff, which 
and and the and the trending topics, which is like that's not what Twitter's for. Twitter's not for trending topics. Twitter's for sharing jokes. It's for retweeting jokes. It's for sharing uh, information as soon as it happens, and for sharing pictures of uh, Emily Dreyfus's children that maybe show up on your Apple Watch. <laughs> now you may have just persuaded me to tweet more than once every full moon, Mike. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see if it happens. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for your recommendations and for your insight about WWDC. Uh, This is the end of the show. So thank you, Adrian, for joining us. And thank you, Julian, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. That was super fun. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Goodbye. We will be back next week.